Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already, and please share widely with others. It makes a huge difference indeed. Today, we're going to be talking about managing ESG risk in supply chains, ESG being environmental, social, and governance. And we have someone on the show who I've known for many years. His name is Charlie Dellingpole. And he is the founder and chief executive officer of Comply Advantage. It's an entrepreneurial firm. It's an incredibly fast-growing firm. Uh, and they focus on AML, or anti-money laundering, data, technology. And they're doing some really interesting stuff. Now, before we kick things off, a big heartfelt thanks to our sponsors, Quilt AI. Quilt AI is an artificial intelligence-powered consumer insights and market research platform. They currently work with approximately 100 clients, ranging from large corporates such as Coca-Cola, Unilever, and Visa, to technology companies such as Twitter and Amazon, to large philanthropic organizations such as the Gates Foundation, the World Bank, Girl Effect, the UN, and Children's Investment Fund Foundation. With 6 million data sources and hundreds of AI models, they are able to answer any consumer or beneficiary research problem across more than 90 countries. In 2019, their mission-based technology approach led to The Economist calling them an AI for good company. So a big heartfelt thanks to our sponsors, Quilt AI. As I mentioned today, we have Charlie Dellingpole on the show, who is the founder and CEO of Comply Advantage. So without further ado, Charlie, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. It's great to be here. I'm a huge fan of the podcast and delighted to be amongst all the celebrities and the global influencers that you have on your podcast. Ah, excellent. Well, why don't we start by finding out a little bit about Comply Advantage. What's the organization all about and how is it involved with uh, tackling some of these uh, ESG risk uh, in supply chains? Great. So... Combined Advantage is a database of primarily people who are bad, so terrorists, money launderers, criminals, but also we've extended that to people and companies involved in ESG crimes. So people involved in, in environmental crime, people involved in human trafficking, violent crime. Um, and so the reason we wanted to come on today was to talk about the new product that we're launching which specifically helps address supply chain risk with ESG um, and other such problems. So what we've done is launch a database of every company in the world, along with every director and shareholder, and then map that to every risk possible with ESG. So the real challenge companies have is with that long tail of companies. And so we've now raised nearly $100 million. And we have a team of 300, mainly data scientists and data experts who are mapping all these risks. And we think this will be a big step change in the way in which companies can help overcome the problems in their vast supply chains and find any hidden risks that they might mm -hmm. not be aware of. So let me ask you, Charlie, if somebody's doing business internationally, and their investors or their business partners are asking them, what are you doing about ESG risk in your supply chain? And how are you being active about it? What are the options available for somebody like that? So I faced this problem in the last company that I started, which is market finance. And so we were onboarding companies, small companies, and we had to understand 
their directors and shareholders without having met them beforehand. And often they'd have parent companies overseas or vast chains of companies. Um, and so what, what we built is a mechanism whereby for any company in the world, you can simply type in the name of the company, find all the directors and shareholders, but also all the risks that are linked to them and all the parent companies. So you can say, okay, um, we have a supplier, suddenly one of their directors has been involved in a coup or one of them is involved in using children in Africa as child soldiers or one of them is burning down Malaysian rubber plantations. So I think I think the old way of doing that was to kind of try and Google things. So you'd often use keyword-based matching. So you'd, you might Google, if you have a footballer, you'd say, um, Ronaldo terrorized the defense and shot at goal. Whereas what you should be doing is being worried about Ronaldo led a terrorist attack and shot a policeman. So what we're doing is we're using machine learning as, as in natural language processing to automatically ingest 15 different languages and then map the entities as in Ronaldo, and then also link that in a big graph to the companies they control um, and just connect billions of data points seamlessly and then understand precisely if this person or company you want to deal with has any risk. Mm -hmm. Because the universe of companies out there is massive, right? I mean, how you know, one would think, well, how can somebody possibly put onto a database all of the companies out there or the vast majority of the companies out there and provide information that's going to be tangible and actionable for someone who is looking to mitigate ESG risk in supply chains. Tell us a little bit about the technology underpinning your tool. How does it change the options that are out there these days for, for helping companies or helping individuals mitigate ESG risk? So I think the way in which things were done previously was that you'd have separate databases of companies or you'd, you'd have um, a database or company registry and those wouldn't be connected to the different risk data sets. Um, and so what we've done is build the first data set which combines both of them. So we've gone to every corporate registry in the world, we've mapped every company, we've gone to hundreds of thousands of underlying sources as well. So um, that's sanctions, political exposure, it's Abbas media data sets, and we built everything from scratch going back to the underlying source. And then we basically combined and resolved all the entities into single entities and then mapped the relationship. And then we built on top of that, a rules engine whereby you can specify which risks you care about. So we have a 16 category taxonomy of risk, um, which covers things like credit defaults or environmental crime or violent crime or or being involved in sanctions. So you can choose which crimes and which risks you care about. Um, and so a big challenge, particularly for companies that have vast supplier bases all over the world with many subsidiaries, connections um, and beneficial owners is understanding which of those could be a risk. Um, so I guess what you saw last month was the delivery IPO Many people were concerned around the ESG risk of workers being involved in sub-minimum wages. Um, what you've seen, I think, um, I think with the wave of scandals you've seen, like Greensill, Wirecard, like every week there's a scandal, and that won't change. 
And so if you want to manage your ESG risk and stay out of the headlines, but also more importantly, not do damage to the environment or society, then you need to understand the people and companies you're doing business with. And this tool has been, I think, two years in the work. And that's why I'm delighted to share it with you today. Mm. And tell us, yeah, tell us about developing a tool like this. So you've been around for a little while. You've been a incredibly successful in terms of fundraising. Give us a little bit of a flavor for how the company started, um, the sort of uh, investments that have been required in order for you to develop this product and get all these uh, big brain people onto the, onto the team to start developing and coding this stuff. So although it's a podcast, we can now look at each other right now, um, but you can see the real men now. Um, I started the company on this desk in 2014 and um, down below in my garage, I had seven developers and then I had two people dealing with clients next door. So um, I, um, I basically funded it myself at the start. Then we raised, raised um, $7 million Series A in 2016, $30 million in 2018 from Index Ventures. And then we raised another 50 from the Ontario Teacher Pension Plan um, in July of the pandemic year. And um, the team is now nearly 300 people. So we have teams in New York, Singapore, um, Romania, and London. And yeah, I think in terms of technology, so when I started the company, most of the industry servicing this sector was done very manually. Whereas I think what you've seen is the evolution of machine learning and advanced technologies used by companies like Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple. So it was really about the practical application of that technology to this space and importantly, doing things via algorithm at scale. So um, we wanted to kind of make the data hyperscale as in just so impossibly large that it would be, it wouldn't be feasible for it to, do, to be done manually. And we just constantly improved the systems, um, the breadth, depth, speed, um, accuracy of the algorithms and the step changes from 11 million bad people and companies to every person and company in the world and every risk spanning fraud, credit, identity, um, but most importantly, ESG risk. Mm. Now with ESG, is, is, you know, it's, it's difficult to open a newspaper today without looking at a headline that has ESG involved in it. Was that a, a consideration for you as well when you're thinking about the sort of entrepreneurial venture that you wanted to be in? Do you like the fact or were you focused on the fact that this sort of technology will actually tackle things like human trafficking? It will, it will tackle many other aspects of society that are not desirable at all. Um, is this a driver for you? So I think the first company I started was about broadening access to education for people who weren't from wealthy backgrounds to go to places like Oxford, Cambridge. Um, market finance was started at the height of the crash in 2009, when small companies were being abused by large corporates, again, in supply chains. Um, so it was about broadening and democratizing access to finance, particularly when large corporates um, were using their SME suppliers as, as banks, even though they couldn't afford it. And I think I think the range of problems we solve here is vast. I think, I think if we can eliminate terrorist financing, human trafficking, money laundering, um, and the whole range of crimes, then 
was that a consideration and is it a consideration for the whole team and myself i think absolutely i, I think to be able to use technology at scale to solve really important social problems and have a really beneficial impact on the world is a great motivator yeah that's wonderful and the investors themselves when you're going to market and you're and you're seeking funding um do they ask do they like the fact that you're not just a good business model but actually that you are so solving these social problems or you're tackling these social problems is that a, is that do you notice that that's a consideration for them and do you notice that that's an increasingly important consideration for them yeah i think i think um particularly with the institutions that we have on board um specifically bolton bolton index and otbp i think um they're kind of very prestigious institutions and very well known and i think it's very important for them not to be associated with um companies that are engaged in transgressions or anything bad i think there are many examples of venture capital companies who now their policy is instantly to annex themselves and dissociate themselves from anyone any company despite the profits because i think having high ethical standards is particularly given um generational shifts and attitudes is it's critical because the best companies want ethical leadership and therefore i think if a venture capital firm is simply often a brand and a team of people with no physical assets then a, a reputation can take a lifetime to build up but a moment to lose and therefore they have to protect that vigorously and therefore understanding your counterparties both in terms of supply chains but also in terms of who you choose to partner with is it, it is becoming more and more critical for investors every day mm. and give us an overview on the scalability of things and the scale that you've built up so far and where you're looking to take things give us a little bit of uh, of insight on your growth trajectory and the challenges that you've faced there and where you want to take things in terms of the scale um and presumably the more scale you have the more you're able to uh, the more robustly you, you might be able to tackle some of these um social problems that we're facing so in terms of scale i i think there are different dimensions i think i think the key thing for us is the architecture of the data and if you want to track all 7 billion people and x billion companies in the world then you can't do that manually and therefore everything has been about the scalability of the underlying data set as in the number of facts the number of connections the number of categories the number of um linkages but also the speed and objectivity of the data as in you, um you want to be able to have a live feed of constantly improving constantly evolving data sets so once a fact becomes apparent you can use things like the semantic reasoning on the knowledge graph to 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 be able to change because i think particularly in data um a single fact can radically alter your understanding of the risks involved as in if you know this person was born on a certain date or was friends or a known associate of another entity then that means that they could be high risk for you so um everything has evolved around using increasing computational power to make the perfect data set which can help companies and people manage risk um in terms of the company um i think what we've done recently is invest in perhaps fewer much more expensive engineers mm -hmm. um and leaders across the board and but i think i think really 
um, the data set that we have will, will kind of carry on evolving in sophistication um, and, the t and, and, the, and there's a virtuous cycle between adding more people, investing further, and we, we still think that we're tiny compared to the trajectory that we're on. Did you always want to scale? I mean, it seems like everything you do, all the ventures that you've done, somehow they all scale. They are all, is that always a factor for you when you're thinking about what's going to be next? Do I want something that's going to be scalable? Yeah, I, I think um, you only live once, right? So, you know, dream no small dream because no small dream can move the hearts of men, right? It's that like, you know, like if you aim for the stars, at least you hit the moon, right? So I, I think people who have kind of unambitious goals will always tend to underperform them, right? So I think I think this, this was deliberately impossible to replicate as well, as in at least once it's built, um, there'd be no point trying to replicate it. So we have hundreds of partners who license our data and resell the data because it makes sense for it to be a single company rather than multiple companies, as in it, it's a single dynamic graph of data that's constantly evolving. So, um, but also it can be used to solve countless social, environmental, governance rates problems. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I think deliberately, deliberately it was a massive scale and therefore motivational to people, both in terms of solving ethical problems, but also in terms of the potential, the potential application of algorithms and machine learning on a new size. Just to give us an idea of size, of the company's size, what, what are your revenues and financials? What is that looking like? Um, in, terms of, in terms of headcount now, we're kind of 300 people or so. Um, and the average salary is quite high. And... We're not burning too much cash, although we raised 100 million. So yeah, I, I think we're still growing quickly. So um, yeah, we had a record quarter this quarter, a record quarter the last quarter. So yeah, I, I think it does overall growth, but we haven't disclosed mm -hmm. um, revenue recently. So. Fair enough, fair enough. And your clients, what sort of what sort of entities come on board and say, yeah, this looks interesting, we'd like to use your services. And on top of that, do you have some uh, NGOs, perhaps, or um, organizations that are focusing on, on not necessarily for-profit entities, but who are uh, focusing on tackling some of these social ailments? So, yeah, exactly. So um, it's a huge range of clients from banks, payment companies, insurance companies, high-risk corporates. Um, um, one of the first companies we had was a, was a remittance company sending money to Somalia, Afghanistan, Pakistan. So we worked with the Department for International Development to help broaden access to that data because the money was going back in remittances to people's families. And if it wasn't going to their families, it was going to the Taliban, Al-Shabaab, ISIS. So um, that was a really important dimension. But then also another client was um, FedEx Zimbabwe, and they had to deal with not going to the Mugabe regime. So yeah, I think we, we have charities, high-risk corporates um, who look at their supply chain. Um, and, and this is not just a tool that's useful for large entities. In other words, if you have a small entrepreneur venture and they're, again, also trying to um, be public about the, their supply chain and, and say, look, these are the steps we're taking to mitigate the risk on ESG in our supply chain, a small entity can use your services just like a large one. Exactly. And I think part of it is to build it once for everyone such that it isn't just the big companies who can have access to this kind of technology and data. Um, and we also have a program called Comply Launch for startups who wouldn't be able to afford that level of um, scrutiny on their, 
on their underlying risk. So um, yeah, really we want the whole world to use what we have. Mm. How long did it take to put this particular product that you're launching now? How, how long did it take from, from concept or idea uh, to, to, you know, waving the flag and saying, look, here we are, we're launching. I'd love to say that we built it really quickly. Um, but unfortunately it, it's taken us best part. I think and we started working on in 2019 to kind of over, over two years ago. Um, and the, I think it's a team of 30 that have been working on this currently. Um, and yeah, I think unfortunately it's, it's still not finished as in there's still going to be hundreds of improvements that we need to make as well. So yeah, I think building this is very expensive, but we think it will have a big impact. Do you find any of this stressful at all? So, and I always joke with you, um, you know, if, if somebody could see, you, I don't know, you always have an incredible abundance of energy. I always think like, you know, Charlie's just drank like a two liter bottle of Coke. That's how you come across to me. Always energy, always very sharp, always, you know, something to say. Um, do you find any of this stuff stressful or you just thrive on it? So I think um, it's my third company. So I think getting to like the first hundred people was super easy. So I've done it in the previous two companies. I, I, I think I think what's challenging is kind of when things aren't working out well and you don't know why or how to solve it. So I think I think um, I think the, the, the hard thing I think is getting the right people on board and managing people problems as the company evolves. I think in the past year we brought on board a whole new team in terms of CMO, CTO, COO, um, and that's had a huge positive impact. So I, I think I think really the biggest challenges are getting the right people to be involved in the team, and I think we have that now. So I think um, so right now everything's going well. It's all kind of growing. Um, but yeah, I, th I think the worst problems are ones that you don't know how to solve and they're kind of structural issues. Um, I think those are stressful. Yeah. And in terms of the road ahead, so if we're, if we're having a coffee in 10 years time and I'm asking you about your successful journey, what, what does success look like to you for the next 10 years? What is it that you're hoping this, this venture of yours to transform into? So I think if we can eliminate terrorist financing, my laundering, most ESG problems um, and deepen, broaden, enhance the data set. Um, and there are tons of potential improvements we can make. But I think the key thing for me is um, to have an impact, you need to be at real scale. So we're tiny compared to the overall market for what we're doing. I think really it's a question of scale and size and sophistication. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but I think we're still at the the beginning of a very long journey what does the market look like you're saying you're, you're small relative to to the market what what is the what does the market look like for this i think we have a probably like a two percent market share so um yeah i think i think still there's a huge way to go right all right so tell me charlie one of the things that i've had to deal with in the past is um uh, reputational risk and when you start looking into that, there's different databases out there and they'll say, yeah, we can screen out against uh, politically exposed persons. We can, we can screen out for various factors. And, uh, and this is also of interest to, to those who are listening to this show who might be involved in the fundraising uh, because you want to make sure you understand who your donors are. 
And so give us a little bit of a, of a feel for that uh, in terms of reputational risk, politically exposed persons, uh, sanctions lists, all of that, and where it's, how it all comes into play. So great, great question. I think another critical dimension of risk, aside from ESG risk, or at least probably similar to it, is um, sanctions, political exposure, and adverse media. So um, sanctions is asset freezes, travel bans. Um, we saw that China has sanctioned many MPs in the UK and in the EU because of the Xinjiang and Uyghur um, genocide claims. So you have to be aware if those people are your counterparties of those restrictions. Um, if, if you have donors that are giving you money linked to political exposure, as in, are, are they exfiltrating funds from their country they've stolen? So I think you need to know, is the money that you're taking stolen money from foreign governments? And for that, political exposure is very, very important. Um, and then the third category is adverse media. So that's, are there allegations in the press? So I think before you get involved in these situations with these people, who are going to be front page news and be ostracized, then you want to check them out. And um, you need a data set that's um, live, broad, detailed, up to date. Um, and that's what Compile Advantage offers. And following up from that, so at some point though, you must need a human to look at things, right? Because I'm just thinking in some countries, when you talk about media coverage, uh, media isn't necessarily the free press in every country. And in some jurisdictions, it's impossible to be anyone without having uh, to be subjected to some sort of smear campaign here or there. It doesn't mean that that individual isn't legit. Uh, it doesn't mean that that person is doing anything wrong, but it just means that the very fact that you're active in a specific country means that you will have the press coming after you. What is the, and then in, uh, presumably then your system might flag up certain things. What do you do then to make sure that we're balancing things out and that um, we put things into context? That's a great point. And I think our approach of algorithmically automating the different sources and providing you, you with an overview of those claims means that then you can make those judgment calls. So I think really our job is to make you aware of the accusations, show you the provenance of the claim, and then provide you with that data ready to make decisions rather than for us to cast aspersions in our opinion. Um, so really it's a tool for you to help avoid risk, manage risk, understand risk, rather than for us to try and keep simultaneous tabs on 7 billion people and X billion companies. Right, right, right. And how are you feeling about the state of affairs in general? So is the direction of travel positive in terms of tackling uh, money laundering, of uh, identifying unsavory characters? Do you find that the technology is moving to such an extent that um, uh, that actors are able to, to identify problems earlier on and hopefully start um, doing something about it? I think progress is very slow. I think there are still x trillion dollars a year that's laundered and terrorists have no real problem in financing their activities 
So I think we still have a huge amount of work to do. I think the future has to be technology and improvements in data architecture. And I think that's where we think we'll solve a lot of these key problems. I think societies are less and less tolerant of evil occurring. And it's really for institutions and companies to get a grip on their supply chains and the risk facing them. Um, because if they don't, the, the general public and regulators after that will crack down instead. Mm. Before I forget, what's your website address? So we're at um, complyvantage.com on Twitter, the web, and um, Snapchat. Excellent. Before we, uh, before we part ways uh, for today, is there a key takeaway you'd love to share with our audience? Uh, something that uh, if they kept nothing else in mind, but they remembered one thing from today's insight, what would that be? So I'd say a lot of very influential people listen to your podcast, Alberto, and um, they're in key decision-making roles all over the world. And I'd say they can, by deciding who they transact with and who they do business with, solve many of the key problems in society. And we'd love to help them do that. Excellent. Charlie, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the Do One Better podcast today. And it's always great chatting with you and learning from you as well. And I wish you continued success with this uh, venture and with the uh, launch of your product as well. So thanks for taking the time and for sharing your insight with us today. It's been great to be here. And that's a wrap. You've been listening to Charlie Dellingpole, founder and chief executive officer of Comply Advantage. Hope you enjoy the show, found it useful. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already, and please share widely with others. It makes a huge difference indeed. See you next week, and thanks as always. <laughs>